Hello and welcome back to the latest episode of the Master of None podcast. I am your host, as always, Stephen Murphy, and I'm joined by the regular rugby crew, that is Westy and Sam. Uh, we are back to discuss another, the last weekend of group games for the World Cup, the Rugby World Cup, that is, just in case anyone's confused. Uh, but yeah, we will get stuck into all the games, as always, Some obviously the huge Irish news. Uh, we're heading over to the quarterfinal. We got our tickets, guys, we got our tickets. Uh, thankfully, the stress the stress didn't really last long, I'll be honest with you. Probably like, what, 10 minutes into the game, we were pretty comfortable. Uh, yeah, nice days, first try, so we'll get we'll get into that. But first, let's check in, as always, with the lads. Westy, how are you? You're... You're back in Ireland for a little a quick stint again. You were you were over at the Scottish game. Uh, you're, I'd say you, you could probably apply for citizenship at this stage, could you? I think I'm only technically holidaying in Ireland at the minute. I think I'm, uh, you know, I think my for tax for tax reasons. Tax for tax reasons. <laughs> I mean, for retirement purposes, I think you want to be in Paris. You know, they're right because their age of retirement is sixty three. I think it's, it's you and you and Bono. I think are in the same Venn diagram of same, spend the same amount of days in Ireland. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, back got back uh, quite late last night, and thanks to the very nice individual who collected me from the bus station and dropped me home. Heard he was uh, a sexy taxi driver. Had. He was um, up there with the sexiest I've ever had. Um, thank you, thank you very much. If, if anyone can't that- read between the lines here, it was me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we had a great, we had a great trip over. Um, we had a nice kind of dinner and a few pints on the Friday night. We watched the uh, France Italy game in a pub in, in Paris. Um, the Blue Pub, I believe it was called. Shout out to them. It was really great crack. They're really good, uh, really good hosts. Um, and then, yeah, a great day Saturday. A beautiful, sunny, clear day in Paris. Um, off down to Montmartre uh, for the first games, for the party atmosphere. Uh, and then on to the stadium, which again was great crack. Um, and yeah, luckily, much to or there my friend Chris, who is a, a proud uh, Edinburgh man. Uh, so he his night ended about two minutes into the game. <laughs> Uh, but it was still a great fun. We all had a good laugh. Um, so yeah, yeah, again, fantastic game. Um, well worth the trip over. Um, and we're all heading back now Friday morning, uh, nine o'clock flight out of Dublin. Yes, I am very excited. I've been the last month. I've been watching everyone over there and been so jealous, knowing not knowing that my tickets were actually in jeopardy until last week. Uh, and then so now, I'm very happy to be traveling over uh, to 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 a very sunny and warm Paris. Although Saturday's given rain, but look at you know, adversity. We wanted it. You know, any more adversity we can get, we'll take it. Uh, Sam, how was your weekend? You weren't over in France, unfortunately. No, uh, Westy missed the actual uh, match of the weekend, which was the Corinthians thirds against Claire Morris. Uh, I don't know what even the tournament was, the J2 uh, preseason round robin tournament. J2 World Cup. It was. J2 World Cup. Uh, 16 men, Corinthians down to 15 men after two minutes because one of our wingers broke his wrist. Uh, managed to come back from 20 points to seven down at halftime to win 29-20 in, in a slobber knocker of a match. More knock-ons than anyone's ever seen in a game of rugby. Uh, and and a lot of high tackle penalties because of the new laws where you have to tackle below the sternum. Uh, still getting used to that, everyone. Uh, it'll be a while, I think. This being my last season of rugby, I'm not sure if I'm I'm going to really... I'm a bit of an own Farrell. I think I'm, I'm too late to change my ways. Uh, and I think I'm just going to tackle the way I've always tackled, which is shyly and not very well. There's a lot of strong rumours going around, Sam, that that Corinthians team is better without J- Jonathan West. Any 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 clarification to that rumour? 
definitely not. No. <laughs> well, I, pl- I played uh, last weekend against Regions, and uh, it was probably the worst game I've played uh, since I had my growth spurt <laughs> in 2010. <laughs> your growth spurt, <laughs> which was two years ago. <laughs> notable absent, notable absentee in the lineout. Uh, <laughs> we had we had some, some first half getting getting to grips with uh, the the squad as it was. But we managed to pull it back. Uh, it was the for only time I think I've ever wished it was raining and cold because I don't have the fitness to run around for 80 minutes in that heat. Uh, I was like, why couldn't this be one of them slow days where the ball never goes past the uh, scrum half and the forwards and I don't have to do anything? Started the game as fullback, finished the game as first centre. Uh, a lot more ball than I was planning on getting and a lot less sitting on the bench than I was planning. I was promised if I came back this year, I would get a lot of bench minutes and I didn't get any. Yeah, tr- truly a game of two halves there. The cliche, as cliches go, that's up there. Uh, but look, we would love to d- dive further into that game, Sam. Unfortunately, it's not on my list of games that, in front of me. For those of you on the Patreon, the full and synopsis that game will be out on Wednesday, and that is that is worth the paywall right there. I'll tell you that. We'll get to it later on, but like you know, it's, it's great to see the likes of you know, like say like Samuel March for Portugal going eighty minutes against Fiji and winning at the age of what 35, 36? Meanwhile, me and Sam, who are very, really, really healthy in our early thirties, are arguing over who gets to spend more time on the bench for the Corinthians third. Well, me and Westy also went for a run during the week, and at one stage, I I issued the sentence, "Hey, Westy, we're going too quick here. We're doing six minute forty splits." (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm not even thirty yet. I'm thirty in a few months, but you know, yeah, it's look at. Well, again, that's definitely behind the paywall. Uh, but we'll talk about that. Uh, let's kick off with New Zealand and Uruguay. Not much to talk about in the game because it was an absolute hockey and 73 points to nil. Uh, what I do want to ask you guys is New Zealand, obviously, our opponents this Saturday. Uh, Bucky's have us like one point favourites, I think one and a half point favourites. But I want to get your guys' opinions on this New Zealand team because... Look, at every New Zealand team is a dangerous team, but I don't think this is one of the great New Zealand teams, especially in terms of the pack. Uh, again, I'm probably possibly going to be wrong on this on Saturday, but Sal, I'll throw to you. Do you fear this New Zealand team? Is this a New Zealand team that you think is a, a, at the top of their game? Uh, what, what are your thoughts on this team? I don't think they're at the top of their game. I don't think they're as poor as some people might believe. I think that they're always going to be New Zealand. They're always going to be a talented bunch of players. They're always going to have a lot of belief in themselves. And they're capable of beating anyone on their day. That That's without question in my mind. I don't think that they're the best New Zealand team we've ever seen. They did beat us once down in New Zealand oh, uh, during the summer. They have put up two really big scores in the group stages. They're coming to terms with themselves. Jordy Barrett coming back into 12 after a couple of weeks injured is d- does change them. Uh, and their forwards, like you said, they're, they're not to be feared the way New Zealand teams have in the past, but I wouldn't take them lightly at all. And I don't think that Ireland will take them lightly. I think Andy Farrell has enough in the bank now with experiences with this Irish team, the amount of games in a row that they've won and the amount of various levels of adversity that they've overcome to be that in-game, be that injuries, be that scheduling, whatever it's been, he seemed to have found an answer for them. This Irish team seems to find answers in different ways. So I think that this is the most confident I could ever be going into a New Zealand quarterfinal or a New Zealand World Cup match. But that doesn't mean that it's overly confident. I'm in no way as confident as I was last week against Scotland. I think you you have to always take New Zealand seriously because they are 
rugby heritage that's it's in their veins it's in they they grow up with a rugby ball in their hands and that there's a lot to be said for that when it gets to knockout rugby knockout rugby is 80 minutes and you have to really account for that yeah no it definitely it's a good point like westy i think ireland is a better team than new zealand current currently is that a fair statement do you agree with that statement um i would say that we're i would agree with you to a certain point i would think that we're an all-round better team because we have a slightly more uh, stable and consistent starting kind of 15, or let's say, I'll even say starting group of 23. Um, I would struggle to pick a starting uh, 15 for New Zealand, even down to little things like, are you going to go with Mwanga at 10 and Bowden Barrett at 15? Like, these are questions that have hung over them for the last kind of two or three years. And they seem to have kind of solved it a few years ago, but or maybe in the last, maybe since Joe Schmidt came in, maybe in the last two years. Um but then obviously there's the kind of the result against South Africa before the tournament and the, the loss to France in the opening game. So um, I do think that we are more comfortable with the team that we're putting out. I, I would kind of agree with Sam. I'm as confident as I was before the South Africa game. I'm confident that we are able to win this game. I'm confident that we're a good enough team. I'm confident that we've shaken off the voodoo of the last few years. But I'm also fully aware of who the opposition are. I'm fully aware of what they're capable of. Like, um, I think their biggest question is how do you include Damien McKenzie because he is so great at creating chances from nothing. It, it's, it's, it was terrifying to watch against Uruguay. Shout out to Uruguay for probably the best opening 20 minutes of rugby anyone's played against the All Blacks and that includes when South Africa beat them by fucking 60 points. Um, they were really, really impressive but you know the, the, the muscle flex on them and they, and they couldn't hold it and it was um, it, it was a shame to see the score go so high because I really thought Uruguay were better value. I, I do think Uruguay are better value than that and I think you know, look, unfortunately, it's it's what teams like New Zealand do. I've said before that it's, Ireland aren't famous for putting that massive scoreline on teams, but New Zealand are capable of exploiting teams in a way that lets them build massive scorelines. I mean, again, they beat us 60-0. Uh, okay, we're probably going back 10 years, but still, even in the last World Cup quarterfinal, what, I mean, the final score was, was a 45-15. That's only because we got to try in the last kind of 10 minutes that made it look a little bit better. Um, so, yeah, that's I, I'm... I'm Confident in Ireland and the team that we are. I'm confident that we can win, but I think you're crazy to think that this is uh, that this is anything more than the flip of a coin, that one decision, that the slicing of a kick. Like it is one or two mistakes that will cost either team this game. I think. My thoughts are kind of. I think you know we bet South Africa while, while scoring one try. I don't think that's going to happen again with New Zealand. I think they're going to score two or three tries just from pure talent alone. Um, and I think so far Ireland has played every game pretty much on their terms. So every team, uh, I've listened to a few New Zealand kind of clips from the last couple of days, and they, they that's their big thing is trying to you know play the game that they want to play, push the tempo that they want, uh, and play the game sort of Ireland's half. Now that's all obviously that's the plan. Ireland have been very good so far, not letting that happen. Uh, but yeah, I, I think Ireland's pack is better than the New Zealand pack. So obviously that would negate a bit of the platform that the New Zealand backs will have. But as you said, like it doesn't take much for McKenzie to, you know, to, to make something happen. And same with Moanga, same with the Barretts, you know, Ioannis, whoever you want to name, they're all incredibly talented players. I am I'm worried about them, but I think the old attitude of, you know, it, it it's very you, sometimes you're beaten by New Zealand before you even go in the pitch. I just don't think that's the case anymore with this Irish team. In just the sense that every possible challenge that they've had so far, they have come up with an answer to it. Now, that's not to say anything else that that, that they won't lose on on the weekend. But 
I think I'm I'm quietly confident about our chances. I, again, I, it depends on how these injuries of Mac and James Lowe and James Ryan. Obviously, it's we had pretty good news today, but that's still not no guarantees. But we do need uh, we need we need a full strength team coming on Saturday. But Sam, do you had some thoughts? But they've they've gotten the monkey off the Irish team. have gotten the monkey off the back on the New Zealand, like you said. That the fear isn't there pre match because they have the experience of beating them in New Zealand, which was huge mentally for them. You know, they, we went what was a hundred years without beating them. And we've started to beat them regularly now. I'd say in the last ten showings, it's probably almost even, and in the last five, we're we're well ahead. So that's huge for this Irish team and that's what I'm saying Farrell kind of builds these experiences every time we do something that's another thing that's a grand slam that's beating a South Africa that's beating New Zealand it's all of these are adding up and creating the atmosphere around the camp that seems to be there where they do feel like they're unbeatable they feel like that they they know how to win games in whatever manner needs to be done what Westy was saying about the the changing it up it's a funny way of looking at it now because in the last year or two myself included there's been questions of like are Ireland doing the right thing by keeping the same team and are France doing the right thing by changing it up and getting 55 players experience? So now you get to a knockout stage and thank God so far, touch wood, we've been blessed with injuries. It looks like the Irish plan has worked, but New Zealand uh, on the, the converse of that might look at their options and go, well, we have, we have different ways of winning games. What will I think be the biggest thing for Ireland is, and we've seen this for the last 17 or 18 games in New Zealand, it happened in the Scotland game. It happened. What you said is playing on our own terms is Ireland have done a thing that Leinster have been very good at doing for the last four or five years, which is scoring within the first two minutes and making the other team throw their game plan out the window. It's like, you know, the, that old saying that you, everyone has a game plan until they're punched in the face. And Ireland have been really, really aggressively going after tries early. It seems so obvious that you want to score a try early, but it just, it, it can't be a coincidence that Ireland have been very successful at doing that and Leinster have been very successful at doing that in the last few years. There is a game plan where they've gone 100% from the, the minute one and tried to get a score up because it makes the other team have to start questioning their own tactics, makes them have to start doing a few things out of desperation. It gets niggles into the mind and that has been a big feature of the Irish game plan in the last couple of years, uh, especially the last year, which has been an extremely successful period of Irish rugby. So if Ireland can do that, if Ireland can get in early, if you can get a James Lowe in on the wing or Hugo Keenan scoring and tries for fun, if you can get that early and you can put doubt into the New Zealand minds, I think this New Zealand team is more frail mentally than New Zealand teams have been in the past because they've not been as successful in the last year or two as they have been in the past. Yeah, no, it's a good point about scoring early as well because Ireland... Are brilliant at it, but look at Lens did that against La Rochelle in the in the Champions Cup final and it came back to bite them. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk more about New Zealand, I'm sure, in the coming uh, in the in the rest of the podcast as well. But uh, we'll move on to France, Italy, France uh, hammering Italy 60 points to seven. We have to talk about Italy again, unfortunately. I don't want to talk about them for too long, but Westy, what what are Italy fans telling themselves? What is what is the you know, the Federation rugby, whatever they call Italy. What are, what is their thoughts coming out of this World Cup after the performances? I'm not saying I necessarily agree, but I think something that they will probably hang hang on to is that they've already sacked uh, their coach. You know, they've you know um, uh, they're already moving on. They've already hired a replacement. It was a decision made before the World Cup um, that Kieran Crowley wasn't going to continue on the head coach. So I think they will uh, perhaps look that they've made the right decision um, again. And I'm not. I'm not saying that I would scapegoat Kieran Crowley and say that it's his fault. They've got these two massive poor results against them, but um, 
I think for them, they would have to hope that they got as much out of one coach and they're going to get some more out of the next coach. It's, it's really unfortunate because it's, it's a really good crop of players. And I, I do think kind of something like Andrew Capwell's going off what, uh, uh, 20 minutes, half an hour into the game, mm-hmm. um, 30 minutes into the game. It, it does affect how they attack. Like I still maintain, you know, when they played Wales in the Six Nations, they played without Capuzzo, and it was it wasn't a great game. And, and Wales managed to, to sneak it. I thought if they had someone who was a bit more able to create attacking chances, like Capuzzo is able to, the game might have gone a little bit different. Um, it's as I say, it's unfortunate because it's a young team. Like Garibisi is still quite young. Uh, Mikhail Lamro, the Canone brothers, like it's it's a young team that have now gone to a World Cup and had two pretty horrific scores put against them. You know, okay, I know that maybe in Uruguay aren't the greatest opposition, but I thought those two games would be quite good in terms of building for Italy and building into these games. Um, and even after the the New Zealand result last week, I kind of thought in this game, I was like, no, 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 like France without Rama or without uh, Dupont, I was like, you know, they have a chance here. They have a chance to save themselves. And um, fair fucks to uh, uh, Sebastian Luku. I mean, I, I wasn't, I didn't really rate him before this game. I didn't really think... Uh, they would be at the same attacking level without Anton Dupont, and he has he more than suffered that. Now, would would that happen against a New Zealander or an Irelander? I don't know, but um, definitely looked great from from the evidence that we have. So, um, yeah, Italy will have to be disappointed. Um, they will hang on to the fact that their under 20s are improving. That they'll need to ensure that those systems stay the same. That these these guys have a good pathway to come through into the senior squad and keep building on that young squad that they have. But um, I don't want to say it was an opportunity missed because they were always in the hardest group, if not the second hardest group. We can argue between Pule and Pule B. And they may have done better at the end up in the other side of the draw. But um, they've lost that bit of credit in the bank, I think. And they'll have to go back and look at how they're going to attack the next Six Nations because, again, it, it already happened last week, right, where fools are asking for to be kicked out of the Six Nations. Um and I'm going to bring it up for the second time, and I can't wait to talk about it. But uh, how long have we also been asking for Portugal to be added to the Six Nations? Because I would love an away day in Lisbon. Okay, well, yeah, we'll get to. We'll have your moment, Wesley. Don't you? Worry. We'll, <laughs> uh, we'll we'll talk about France later on. We'll look at the quarterfinals. We'll move on to the Wales Georgia game. Wales 43, Georgia 19. Wales finishing top of the pool, four wins from four, 19 points from a possible 20. Um, Sam. I mean, we all knew that they had a good chance of, you know, topping this pool, but the four wins from four, especially when they came into this tournament fairly undercooked, a lot of us thought, uh, have you been impressed with Wales or has there been a lack of maybe opposition? What What are your thoughts on Wales going into a quarterfinal? I've been impressed in the manner in which they've turned it around from uh, before Gatland was appointed as Pivak was let go and Gatland came in. I thought it was probably just going to be a step too far for them to do anything this World Cup, but you had to appreciate that Gatland was probably the only coach that could have done something with them. He's managed to create a harmony in a squad that looked very unharmonious right up until the start of the tournament with really big name players not traveling, even though they were in the extended squad or, you know, announcing their retirement before the competition, after the competition. It looked like an entire clusterfuck, but they've, They've done what they needed to do in this group stage. They played not an exciting brand of rugby, but an effective brand of rugby. And that's probably what you would describe most of Gatlin's career as a coach as an extremely effective yet uninspired viewing uh, brand of rugby. So they've gotten through a, a group where 
Yeah, Fiji really put them to the sword, but Fiji were probably disappointing overall for what you, you saw in that first game, in that Australia game. You, you probably would have thought that they would have done a bit more. Australia were extremely disappointing, and it was always going to be a step too far for Georgia and Portugal. So they've gotten through a group that was not the most challenging for them, but they were they were there was questions being asked of them before the tournament. So there was three in it that they thought one would fall out, and it's Australia that has fallen out. I'm not scared of that Wales team. I'm scared of Gatland. I'm scared of what Gatland can do on a day. If you get drawn against them in a knockout game of rugby, he has something up his sleeve and he'll be able to bring through a passion. They look extremely fit. They look extremely tough. And that that's the credit I can give them because the brand of rugby in which they're playing, I don't think really inspires a lot of, you know, ooh, they're great to watch because they're not, but it's working for them. And if Ireland win a World Cup and someone turned around and said, yeah, but they were born to watch. I'd say, go fuck yourself. I don't care. That's how you win. You win knockout rugby. You win tournament rugby by being the most effective team on the pitch. They've lost Faletau now, which is a huge loss because he's so central to a lot of what they do well. They they would probably miss him a lot going into these knockouts, but you you have to give them credit because they're being written off as a team completely a year ago, six months ago, whenever Gatlin came in. People said, oh, is it, is it one too far? Has he been paid too much? But he seems to have created harmony. I don't know if he waterboarded all the hatred out of them or what he did, but they're they're doing what they need to do. And they got through this game relatively unscathed. A bit disappointed in Georgia overall in the tournament. Personally, I would have liked to have seen a little bit better showing from them. Uh, I'm, I'm a fan of theirs. And I've liked the idea of a p- potential promotion into the Six Nations for them. And not not showing up when they could have is going to just be a little bit of a mark against them from some of the people who are too lazy to actually watch them week in, week out and talk about them fairly. They'll just talk about this tournament and say, oh, well, Portugal are ahead of them. So Portugal should be the ones that we're talking about. But, you know, that, that's another conversation for another day. Yeah, Wes, you touch on Georgia. Um, what, are, what are your thoughts on them? Are you disappointed in them for their, world, for their showing? You know, zero wins, one draw against Portugal. What are your thoughts? Yeah. I'm disappointed for them. I, I think I think it's been a long time since they've considered being in a World Cup and not getting a win. You know, the last three or four World Cups, they've they've gotten at least one win and they've maybe uh, they've been competitive in other games. And the best thing I can give them is, yeah, 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 they they were competitive. Like they were competitive against Australia. They created chances. They just couldn't hold on to a ball. Um, they let Portugal run at them. Now they had a lot of changes that day, and they let the Portugal team run at them. And was it not for you know, if, if if Portugal were a little more experienced, they probably would have closed that game out and, and got the win at the end. You know, they had a kick at the end to win it. I know Georgia had a, a similar kick earlier, just before that, that they also missed. But I think they'll be disappointed. I think they like there was talk of them getting out of this group. There was talk of them eyeing up wins against, you know, a Wales or a Fiji and getting it. And I think not to be anyway condescending, I think they'd be very proud of the way they played last week against Georgia. I think they should be really proud for the first 65 minutes of this game. They went behind. They found a way to come back. They solved the problem. And then with, with 50 minutes to go, it all just seems to fall apart. You know, Wales miss a penalty and then score instantly off the back of it. It's, um, and I do think something like the yellow card, we say it about two two teams, when, when it's Davinash Fili gets the yellow card and goes off, Wales score two more tries. And those kind of things are really detrimental for tier two teams that don't have the same exposure to rugby at this level. So when they go down a player, the, the things like fitness and an organisation kind of drift off a little bit. And that makes a massive difference at the top tier level. So, um I'm disappointed for them. I thought this was a year for them to really put down a marker. They've had a relatively successful, well, not relative, they've had a quite a successful the last kind of two or three years um, in, in beating 
Italy and beating Wales. I mean, um, and not being able to transform that into a World Cup, um, a World Cup where they were finally getting some of the acknowledgement that they deserved. Um, it was a big opportunity for them to to re-solidify why they should be being considered for global competitions, why they should be some sort of cross cross competition. I don't does not have to be integration, but some sort of cross competition playoff or you know exhibition or trophy, you know, or some sort of meaningful fixtures from them against teams of different uh, of a different tier, of a different level, of a different whatever whatever you want to call it. Um yeah, I just think they'll be I think they'll be pretty disappointed. I think I still maintain that they're probably good enough um to get a win in either that Wales game or particularly that Australia game. I think that was the big one for me where I think they it didn't click for them and they didn't take the opportunities they had. Um the Fiji game as well, maybe they'll they'll feel that, that one was very winnable, especially looking at, at, at what happened. You know, I won't I won't mention the team again, but what happened uh, uh in the last game of, of that pool. Um so yeah, I think look, it's it, it's a mix of a squad. There's still there's quite a lot of young players there who will grow from this, but they're gonna lose quite a lot of experience as well going into the next World Cup cycle. So um I think the key thing for them is working hard to solidify uh better fixtures. Uh and as as much as everyone's saying it now, we want to see more of these fixtures it's gonna. It's, I think it's gonna remain quite difficult for these teams uh, until some sort of structure is put in place that allows it, um, that um, encourages it, as opposed to leaving it up to George to try and organise their own fixtures, which is what everybody does. It's not just them, yeah. Yeah, until until it makes financial benefit for the top tier teams, it's gonna be very difficult to think, unfortunately. Uh, but yeah, look at that's uh, yeah that's George's campaign done. Next game, this game was eyed up uh, early in the in the competition as a potential. Great upset of all time, one of the potential up- upsets of all time. England Samoa, and uh, god damn it, nearly happened. England beating Samoa eighteen points to seventeen, just by the one point. Sam, we nearly had one of the best upsets of all time. We're I feel I feel robbed personally. I don't know about you. My beloved Samoa, uh, I was I was rooting for them. I was I I was gutted, properly gutted towards the end there. Uh, the England team, yeah, they weren't firing on all cylinders. They had confirmed their position in the group stage so they they didn't need to be on it but that being said they haven't really been on it this entire world cup they've been they've been getting through games kind of like wales they've been been playing an effective brand of rugby for what needs to be done but it's not been the most inspiring uh samoa looked a lot healthier with lima sapuanga at 10 now that's that's no slight on christian leilefano but i just don't feel like he had the world cup that he would be overly proud of in terms of his own capabilities but maybe it's just that year too far for him. He's been playing with Mano Pacifica. You know, he's coming, he's a long enough career and he had cancer during that career and took some time off. So it might just be all catching up with him. Lima Savoanga just looked head and shoulders above that in terms of what he can do and showed every bit of class that he can. And they'll probably be cursing that. Uh, I think it was a calf injury he got in the Chile game and cursing that because he would have been very effective for them in the other games, this, this group stage. To nearly get it the way they did, to get the break at the very end to Matene, uh, played out of his skin. They ran the pitch at the end of the game and nearly, nearly stole it. And it would have just been so such justice because they were the better team on the day. I don't think England, I think England kind of half went through the motions for some of it and were a little taken aback by Samoa because Samoa played their best game of the tournament uh, or their best showing of the tournament, not their best result. But uh thought Farrell looked very rusty at 10. And if I was an English fan, I'd be worried because so far he's looked out of place at 12 with Ford inside him. I don't think that gets the best out of either Farrell or Ford and Ford has looked the better 10. So the decision has to be made and it'll be a huge decision if you leave Farrell out of a 
uh, starting 15 for a knockout game, but Ford has been the better out half for them. And I don't like the Ford Farrell axis with Farrell at 12. I think that that's not getting the best out of either player. Uh, funny enough, when we're going with Marchant on the wing, uh, don't know, did they kind of see maybe what happened to them pre-World Cup against Fiji and think that we'll just fight fire with fire and just put another massive big center lad out in the wing? Or think about going into the Fiji game if that was going to be the knockout, which they got, uh, trying something out there. But he, he not got found out because he's a great player, but I don't think he looked overly comfortable there. And I, I would move him to center, move manager to 12. Uh, and that would be what I would do if I was an English coach and if I was an English fan, what I'd want to see. Disappointed for Samoa. There was, you know, it was a not brilliant uh, World Cup for them in terms of what they, they could have possibly done. I think that I would have liked to have seen them get that result and maybe pip Japan to third place. They still, they have to go through the qualifiers now again instead of getting the automatic qualification for the next uh, World Cup, which is unfortunate because they've been building quite steadily for the last year or two and the Mano Pacifica thing has definitely shown that it's beneficial for Samoa. Hopefully that continues to be the case and it doesn't just get completely pilfered by New Zealand and the New Zealand Rugby Union. Uh, I'd, I'd love to see them develop because I think a strong Samoa, a strong Fiji, a strong Tonga are important for rugby. And they're also just, they're great teams to watch. Like we can, you know, you can harp on about all the tier two nations, but in terms of your rugby heritage, in terms of what you've given to the game, I think that those teams deserve a little bit more because they have, you, you looked around like the other day, someone put it up on Twitter. I think it was Jim Dempsey put it up on Twitter about, you know, Irish provincial players from New Zealand. And most of the players that were named we're off Samoa and Fijian or Tongan heritage as well as being New Zealand heritage. And it's, they've added so much to the game. So I really, I wanted that result so badly for them. And I, I was just so gutted at the end when it didn't come. Uh, but you have to say hats off to England, even though they were shite, they still managed to squeeze it out and, and rob it towards the end. And they're doing what Wales are doing. They're doing what they need to do for the moment. And they've got now the opportunity to keep going. And if they win the fucking World Cup playing the way they play, it'll be so disappointing. <laughs> Yeah, if we that would be awful. Hopefully, hopefully not. Because the rugby god, uh, you mentioned the Farrell Ford Access. Just off the top of your head, least favorite access access should I say, Ford Farrell or Hitler Mussolini? Which one? Which was? Which is your least favorite, Sam? Off the top of your head. Uh, I think Hitler Mussolini has to just about pip that one. But Ford Farrell, in terms of like right now in my face, yeah, they're 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 more at the forefront of my mind right now. Uh, so I, I dislike them more now. If I was an English fan, I would be raging because I don't think you get anything out of Farrell in that 12 outside Ford. I like Farrell as a 12. I have liked him as a 12 in his career, but just not outside Ford. And I think that when you have him outside Ford, you actually bring down Ford. And we've seen so far this World Cup, what Ford can do when he's left to his own devices to be the leader at 10. And uh, if you were an English fan, I think you just go pick one and then just, just accept the fact that you have two class 10s and just allow that. I say class 10s, I, I thought Farrell was pretty poor at the weekend, but that could just be down to rust or confusion because he's being shipped all over the shop as well. Sounds like you're on the fence about Hitler and Mussolini, but look, we'll move on from that. I think you're putting you words on my mouth there. I'm just saying, <laughs> just saying, I'm just saying. Um, yeah, no, all good points in England, Samoa. Uh, Westy, anything to add to that quickly or we'll move on to the Ireland-Scotland game? Yeah, it's, well, just said it, it's... it's, uh, it's it's really disappointing for Samoa. Like we saw how good they were against us before the World Cup. I don't think they'll be overly happy with any of the results, apart from maybe the Chile game. But basically, what they did was just maul over them for the last half an hour and really pad up the score. Um, I thought they, they played extremely good rugby um, against England. I I think 
I think they're unfortunate. I think a couple of decisions go against them that are, are maybe, you know, we don't really want to talk about decisions too much, but um, I think they're unlucky with their result. I think Fiji will watch that game over and back and sideways because I think they expose a lot of problems with the England team. Now, I know, as Sam said, you know, the, you know, Marchham's out of position. There's a change that we made. It won't be the exact same team that plays the quarterfinal, but you know, I don't think based on that performance, England can be overly confident about a quarterfinal against Fiji, especially especially considering the fact that Fiji beat them six weeks ago. So, um, yeah, it's heartbreaking for Samoa. It would have been. I don't think it was actually mathematically possible because England got the losing bonus point. But if 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 Samoa had won that game by eight points, like Argentina topped the group and Samoa guaranteed. Uh, uh, at World Cup in three years, and that's a really, really stark shift uh, on the base of, you know, one score. Let's say I know it was technically eight points, but um, yeah, I just thought it was. I thought it was like by far. I think that's well, it was one of the best games of the World Cup, and it was so close for um, for Samoa. Yeah, no, definitely good point. Um, move on to the Ireland Scotland game. Um, Thirty six points to fourteen. Ireland come out on top. Uh, scoreline is actually quite flattering towards Scotland. Uh, I was pretty vocal the last couple of weeks of my my my, my how, how much better I thought Ireland were to Scotland. I wasn't worried about them at all, and thankfully I was proven right. Uh, Ireland just streets ahead in, in every aspect of the game. Scored early, but then the most impressive part was that I think it was 17 or 18 phases Scotland put together and just could not break through Ireland's defence. That has to be so, so, like, it must be so disheartening for a team to, to not make any sort of gain or any yardage at all uh, especially after conceding early when you, and you have a lot of possession 17 phases is unheard of these days in modern rugby so um, tiring for Ireland but they just they just held strong and it had to be such a momentum lift for them as well and then had a real purple patch about 10 minutes before the half where they just ran in a couple of tries and the game was over at that stage um, I tweeted that it was it was embarrassing for Scotland on many levels but Johnny Sexton going off 47 minutes into the game uh, incredibly that that's just I don't think any of us even I wouldn't have predicted that uh, I would have said maybe 60 minutes and he's off after 47 which is incredible but again Ireland just showing that they're just so they're such a great team at adapting like we we, we had the injuries with Mac and, and James Lowe Gibson Park goes out to the wing and he looks incredibly comfortable um, I wouldn't trust him there maybe all game maybe defensively but he, you know he, he knows what he's doing Ring Rose is out in the wing you know Crowley's hitting crossfield kicks Ireland's just a very very good team uh, at the moment and they're so well prepared for all these games mentally and, and physically um, and they just blew Scotland out of the water Scotland were in a do or die performance there fighting for their lives Look, I don't like all this bullshit of Blair Kinghorn, people bringing that back up. What the fuck's he supposed to say? Like, oh, no, we're actually going to go out and get bet. bet. Like, you know, he's, he's obviously going to back himself and, and his team. I have no problem with that whatsoever. And we have to, like, again, I don't like naming names. Rory Connor has to have a real good look at himself. Uh, he's a journalist, okay, and he's getting a, he's doing a lot of these memes and stuff online. And, and like, at the end of the day, you're, you know, you you have some sort of integrity as a journalist to keep it professional, and he's not really been doing that lately. Um so I don't know that's my opinion I don't know about you guys but again he's not listening so it's not a problem but I just don't like it like have some I don't know just just do just be a journalist that's all we're asking for you to do uh, but overall Ireland performance so so impressive game over like we can see those two tries I'm not really worried about that I think the game was over at that stage um, and it, it did Scotland a bit of a favour in terms of the scoreline but Sam your thoughts on this game well just going on your point about that first 
20 minutes like I've rewatched the game we scored early and then yeah they we, we defended really well for 17-18 phases but Scotland asked no questions at all they went side to side and backwards like you've got a team there with you do on Vandermeer just run him hard and you'll get a yard or two. And they didn't seem to use him at all. It was one stage during the, the second half, the commentator said, Duane Vandermeer, and the commentator made the joke, that I, oh, I haven't said his name much. And I was kind of going, yeah, no, you haven't. He's not been involved at all. And it wasn't for the fact that Scotland had no ball because, yeah, Ireland were dominant, but Scotland had ball. I don't think they used it right at all. I think Scotland didn't show up. We've heard for numerous years now how Scotland are going to be you know they're going to be tough they're going to be this and they, they, they haven't backed it up fully they've gotten themselves to fifth in the world through a series of pretty decent results but I think when push comes to shove in a big big game they haven't done it yet and in that game they had 20 minutes where I was nervous the first time watching it but the second time watching it I don't think any of those Irish players were nervous because they were not asked any questions they defended very well they defended very solidly, but I don't think that their defensive structures were pulled out of place. I don't think that they had to do anything out of the ordinary for that set of phases. Scotland didn't ask many questions. They had a little lease of life. They had a little purple patch, and that's going to happen. I think every game you play, even if a team is dominant, there is a purple patch at points. Scotland scored two tries in that patch, but it was far too late for them. Their heads were gone completely by it. I don't like punching down. I, I kind of give Scotland a bit of a slagging last week and I've been giving Scotland a bit of a slagging this week they're a good team with a lot of really good players and a, a big amount of potential but I think at some point they have to reach their potential and he, they were never going to win that game but I thought that they put up a bit more fight than they did or I I would have liked to have seen a bit more fight than they did because I think the most fighting they did was handbags with Peter O'Mahony and throwing uh, Dan Sheen over the hoarding and that's disappointing from a Scottish point of view because, yes, it was very difficult, but they had a mathematical opportunity there to go through. And within a minute, the try was scored and ment mentally they were gone after that, I think. I think that they actually went in and Blair Kinghorn was not lying when he said that they have the right mentality. I think that he, he believed that they could go out and do it. And I think that they have the players that could upset a team. But within 90 seconds, we score that try, they're gone. And they didn't really look penetrating at all until the wholesale changes were made. They caught us out off guard twice. And even then, no one was worried because mathematically they needed another 60-odd points for it to count properly. So in the whole, Ireland will be very happy with what they did. They'll have some work-ons because that will happen and they'll be fretting over a little bit of injuries. But the prognosis seems to be good enough Andy Farrell said that there was no one ruled out yet James Ryan seems to be the the most unlikely in terms of he has to go see a specialist but he said that Mac they said that Mac and Lowe were recovering well and that Henshaw and Earls were training so they're all good signs going into the New Zealand game uh, on the whole it was a brilliant game I'm so jealous of Westy being at it uh, the atmosphere looked even better than the South Africa one I don't know you can you can back that up but it looked amazing and I think that that's flowing through the fans and the players. I, I've i gotten the same feeling this World Cup amongst like staff in school, in work, friends and family who wouldn't be that into rugby. The same feeling I did with the Korean-Japan World Cup, uh, where it was just a really like World Cup fever sort of feeling where everyone everyone is into it. The last World Cup, I remember putting the Ireland-Japan match on in school. It, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was during the middle of a kind of a, a working day. And I remember putting it on in RTE on my phone during break time and no one really cared that it was on. Uh, but this World Cup, everyone's chatting about it, everyone's into it. And I think that Ireland has grown from strength to strength and that has brought fans into it. And this World Cup has come at the perfect time for us. And the, the backing that the lads get seems to, they seem to see it. You seem to be able to see it in the celebrations after the game, the, the singing a zombie, even the social media side of things. They 
it it really looks like everyone's kind of banded in together. No, the, yeah, oh, great point. The only question I have, Westy, I'll throw this one to you. In the last year and a half, I'd say since the even even the New Zealand test down in New Zealand, Ireland have never been ten points down in the first fifteen twenty minutes of a game. I, I I've never I don't remember a time where Ireland had to chase a game. We've always seemed to be the ones ahead and, and holding on. Now, I'm open to correction on that. but Romania. We were behind against Romania. We were yeah. behind. Sorry, we had to chase Romania for four seconds. But what happens if New Zealand go 10 points up early on Saturday? Do you, do you trust Ireland have what it takes to, to claw that back? Just because, we, again, we haven't, this new Irish team, this new mentally strong team, we haven't seen, I know we keep going on about adversity, but we haven't been 15 points down at halftime. We haven't been in a rut with 10 minutes to go and, and pull back. I'm, I'm saying in the last kind of year and a half, again, open to correction on that. But is that a worry? Do, do you believe Ireland can still come back from that? Are we down at halftime against South Africa? Were we, were we a point behind? Was it like 9-8 or something? Um, anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, anyway, I, I know what you're saying, though. Yeah, we haven't really had to chase a result too much. I mean, you can think of the New Zealand um, series as, you know, losing the first game and then having to chase the... the, the um, uh, the result in the end of the, the overall series. And you know, I actually genuinely looking back over it, I think that's I think there's a few things that kind of go against Scotland in the game. And I think the fact that they knew they needed I think they needed the bonus point to qualify. They needed five points from the game. And I think the fact that they knew that went against them because early on they go for the corners so they're going for the sticks. And I think if they go for the sticks there, I'm, I'm not at all saying that they win it. I'm just saying these are the little decisions, these are the little things I'm talking about that might, could go against Ireland in a, in a New Zealand game. If they take the three points there, they've barreled into our 22 and scored three points. You know, it does change your mentality a little bit. And I think, I, I do think uh, Keenan was in touch for the 50-22 early on. He lifts his foot up, but I mean, it definitely touches grass. So, um, and then losing Blair Kinghorn and Jamie Ritchie quite early because once it's confirmed that they're not coming back, we're in the corner for our, uh, second or third try. Um, so, yeah, like that, and, and, and I totally agree, right? Like our defense is so good. We seem to be implementing this kind of South Africa esque competition where every so often there's a call and we shoot up at the third or fourth man to shut down that ball going wide. And that feeds back into what Sam said about like Duane van der Meer not been anywhere near the ball. Um, because we were preventing that ball from going wide at specific times. I think we'd really prepared ourselves for that attack, for the way they would do it. Um, would we have the confidence? Go on. One point on that is my, my, my issue with that is Ireland's structure makes Lowe and Mac get onto the ball because they go looking yeah. for it, whereas I don't think Duan did that at all. And I think Scotland should be utilising the likes of him as a third centre, and they don't. Uh, and that's, that's the downfall for them. Yeah, but I think that's a part of their game plan. You know, they don't, he doesn't, as you say, he doesn't roam back in looking for the ball. I think their game plan is more if Finn Russell can ping it out to the wing and he can get the ball at a gallop in space, then he's going to be extremely difficult to stop. We also had a very large number. I, need, I want to go back and watch it another time, but a very high number of uh, two man tackles. As I say, we're forcing them back inside and we're going for two man tackle, like not every time, but, but quite consistently. So it really shuts down and slows the ball down, gives us time to get set and launch that defence up in their faces. Um, I was going to say... A huge I, I, counter-ruck pressure as well. That was, that was a big thing in the first half. They, they, they did that nearly every second ruck. Sorry, Well, that's it. I think that's the benefit again of the two-man tackle. You're able to slow that ball down the extra second and give a poacher time to get over and do it, you know, legally. Um, is our defence going to be that brave against New Zealand? If we're, if we're 10 points behind to shoot up in the middle and try and jam the ball and stop it from going wide, I don't know. I think I think it is. I think that's the way we play. I think we're our defence, our head coach is, a, is our former defence coach 
And particularly in this game, I thought our defense was extremely impressive. That was very impressive in the Stafford game as well. But I think the Stafford game was kind of more mistake-ridden around the park. Our defensive line-out was very strong against Scotland. Our, our attacking line-out actually was very strong. Again, hopefully we can carry that to a New Zealand game. Um, I don't think the game plan changes 10 points down. I think, okay, maybe we haven't had to chase the game too much um, in the last while, but we still um, have had the benefit of the experience of the last kind of of the last uh, <clears throat> of the last two or three years um, of beating South Africa, beating France, beating New Zealand uh, twice. In New Zealand, um, these are things that will give our players mental strength. Twenty minutes, half an hour, halftime of the game, you're ten minutes down. It's like remember, guys, we've beaten them before. Like we can, we're undefeated in 17, 18 games now. We we can get a win here. Um, so. I think I think it would be a difficult game to chase against New Zealand because it is when they're up that they really tend to pounce and they tend to build those scorelines quite heavily. Um, but I think we have the experience uh, to manage it, even if there isn't an exact example of it out there. But like I said, it's it's by no means going to be an easy thing to do. Yeah, I'd be I'd be interested to see if see if we did go fourteen down early just to see how the Ireland team reacts, just because we haven't. Because even I know what you mean in those New Zealand games down there, we we lost the first one. But I again, correct me if I'm wrong. I think we were up early in all three of those games, um, and New Zealand yeah. came back. You heard it here first, folks. Steve is asking us to take four, 14 points conceded early on to prove we can come back. Just, to win I mean, that's adversity. If we just spot them 14, <laughs> I mean, that is. It's also the balls of it as well. That would be. They should bring that into rugby, though. You can spot teams just because I would have spotted Scotland 21 points there at the weekend. I was that confident. But like to do it against New Zealand would be ballsy. If you could uh, spot them 30 points and get them, then they get an extra bonus point for winning. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But I just. I don't there was a big difference now. I know the game was won by half time, but I felt our bench came on and made another impact. I thought Kilcoyne was class. I thought Beelan was very good. I thought Kelleher, a huge steal. I thought he showed a a standard of play that was warranted being a starter, but it's just the fact that Dan Sheen is in front of him. Whereas on the other side of it, I thought that Scotland, their, their bench, yes, the game was over. It was 55 minutes in or whatever by the time. But Sutherland and Nell were fairly kind of abject I didn't think that they added much at all and it's it's hard to come into a game when you're that much losing but for our whole 23 to come on and to be humming and to be excited to play you saw Conan coming in which was brilliant you saw Ryan I know we got the injury but you know to to unload the bench the way we did and for them to ha- come in and have positive impact for Crowley to get the crossfield kick and for Crowley to manage the game in the wet manner in which he did all of those things stands to us. So I think that it was the perfect game for us to finish the pool because it was one of the tougher games, which was great because we had a test, but we overcame that test and everyone came out of it with some po- something positive to lean on. Just something, just just on what you said, Sam, about the atmosphere. Um, yeah, I've heard a lot of people say the atmosphere wasn't as good as the South Africa game. The South Africa game was the most tense game I've ever watched. Like I, People were afraid to breathe at times because it was so close. This was kind of a more positive... Uh, the Safa game felt like a final. It felt like a, a final. This felt like a game, you know? Uh, it was a bit more of a positive atmosphere, a bit more boisterous. Maybe there was a lot of singing throughout the game, um, but probably due to the fact that we scored early and we were able to relax and enjoy it. But I think the Safa game is probably still the best atmosphere of the game. So tense. Every decision was been watched. Yeah, I, I would have said that just from watching the TV, just because it was a closer game. But I did see a Mexican was- wave... The Mexican great wave, Westy. I saw a Mexican oh, yeah. wave. I I hope that you were up in that Mexican wave. 
Please of course me. I was. I started it. No, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, no, yeah, we'll, we'll move on. Let's get. Let's try and get through the next two games quick enough because I want to give Westy the floor for Portugal. But uh, <laughs> Japan, Argentina. Argentina beats Japan 39 points at 27. Argentina heading in now to a semi-final uh, against Wales. Japan, uh, two wins out of four. Get third place in the group. Uh, Sam, what was your thoughts on this game, first of all? Fun game to watch. Uh, probably the better, best game really you see Argentina play. Like, they beat Samoa, but they weren't great on the day, and neither was Samoa. So probably the best you've seen from them and a bit more of the Argentina you hope to see going into the World Cup. Uh, they were talked up, you know, of, about winning the group, and then England put that to the sword in the first game. So they'll... They'll be happy with the results. Japan will be disappointed with the result. Japan will look at the group they had and think that that was probably, you know, a very tough group to get out of, but also an opportunity they had there. And they'll be disappointed with themselves, but they'll go and they'll regroup and they'll look to to build going into the next World Cup. Overall, this was a really enjoyable game. It was probably the most meaningful of the games. I know Ireland and Scotland, there was something riding on it because there was like... Uh, the opportunity for Scotland to get through mathematically, but this was the game where it was it was a knockout game. This was a, a game of knockout rugby, and it played like that. It was a high scoring, pretty fun, pretty frantic game with some mistakes and some good play. Westy, what was your thoughts? I get. I thought it was really uh, a really good game. It would have been kind of up there with one of my games of the tournament. Um, I thought Japan created some beautiful chances. Like Fakatava's try in the first half is a thing of absolute beauty. Watching a, a second row give a chip and chase was just uh, was outstanding. I think, yeah, probably one of the probably one of Japan's better games as well as Argentina's better games. Um, I think where Japan really hit themselves is their defence. Um, they really just genuinely seemed to switch off for three seconds, and in those three seconds, Argentina broke the line and scored a try, and that happened six times. Do you know it? It, it was. They didn't. Argentina didn't really seem to score off a period of sustained pressure. It was it was a moment of brilliance or a missed tackle in the middle of the field, um, and I think that's where Japan will have to look at themselves. I've I don't remember them being quite so poor defensively. And again, it's not it's not like the defense is bad. The defense the defense works. It's just through these moments where they fall off a tackle that they should be getting. And if one person falls off, an next person falls off, and all of a sudden the space has opened up and and, and they've conceded. I think. They made things difficult for themselves. They had to chase the game the whole way. Um, the scoreline in the end maybe flatters Argentina a little bit. I, I do think like this is the definition of a one-score game. They were trading tries back and forth for the whole thing. Um, but I think as well, when, when you get the likes of Nicolas Sanchez coming off the bench, things just kind of shore up. I, I know he's maybe passed his best, but I still think he's just an unbelievable player to watch. Um, but yeah, I think moments of poor defence from Japan made it more difficult than it had to be they also had, they had a three on one at one stage and didn't give it and it's just like of all the teams to not give it like japan are you know great and expansive great flowing attacking rugby and for someone to just get white line fever and put their head down you're kind of like oh again i don't think that would have happened to previous japans but no i think they gave a really good account of themselves they proved that okay you can say they're not they're not the same as they were four years ago time is really funny how that works isn't it people get older um but they gave a good camera. They proved that they are they are here to stay as a competitive nation in the World Cup. And hopefully made a good case of them and added to a future version of the rugby championship, which by all accounts we're hearing either Fiji and or Japan will be invited to join in the next uh, kind of year or two. So I look forward to that day for them because I think I think they can still push on as a team. I think they're I would hate to see Japan go backwards because I think world rugby is all the better for them being strong and being involved. So in that regard, 
I'm really happy that they've guaranteed qualification for three years ago because it would be kind of a dangerous position if they hadn't. Um, and that's not to say I would have been upset if Samoa got it because that would have been fucking fantastic as well. But um, at least they, they finished strong in the World Cup and gave a pretty good account of themselves. Just a few kind of moments of insanity, I think, that made this game more difficult for them than, than it had to be. Yeah, plenty of plenty of areas to to get better, which will and they'll be back in four years' time. Um, Tonga, Romania, the battle of the two teams, sort of the, the two poor teams in Pool B. Uh, Tonga come out on top, get their their first win, forty five points, twenty four uh, over Romania. Sam, a very entertaining game. Brilliant, really fun. Uh, the Tonga that I'd like to have seen a bit more during the World Cup. They were in such a hard group, and it's so fortunate for them, but. You know, they brought through a lot of ex-All Blacks and and brought in a couple of good players. That will take time to bed in. You've heard that, you know, maybe the coaching needs to catch up with the standard of the players. But I really liked what they did with their approach. I read somewhere now, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I read somewhere that they put everyone who hadn't featured yet in the World Cup into the match day squad. So everyone at least got a game at the World Cup, which I think was a nice touch because mathematically there was nothing there for them. So it was a really entertaining game. There was two or three highlights of Leva running through players in the way which I, I wish we'd seen a little bit more from Connacht, uh, from Leva at Connacht, but I was delighted for him to get that result as well. And you could see what it meant to a lot of those Tongan players at the end of it, getting a win in the World Cup, even though it, it, they're still going home you know, on Monday morning, means a lot for them and it's something for them to build on. And on the other side of it, Romania played some really good rugby and Romania have been capable of playing some really ro- good rugby in the last couple of years. They're on a downslope now. There was some changes in the coaching ticket only a year ago and they they were really pushing and pushing into that kind of that that next tier of you know the Georgians and the Portugals and the Spains before they got uh, kicked out of the World Cup. They're pushing into that and they were really competitive and they've some good results in the last few years and then that had fallen apart and this Romania that a lot of more casual fans have seen hasn't been the same Romania as that and people have been quick to dismiss them but you saw some flashes of brilliance that they are capable of and you'll just see a couple more players will get picked up off the back of some of the performances there and they'll get more experience and overall I thought it was an, a, a fun game of rugby and I'm glad for Tonga to get the win and glad for Romania to score a couple of the tries that they did and show some of the ability that they have that hasn't maybe been able to be seen because they've taken such drubbings against ourselves South Africa and Scotland. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, yeah, inter- uh, entertaining game uh, on a lot of different fronts. Uh, we'll move on now to the last game, uh, Fiji-Portugal. Portugal getting the win, 24 points to 23. Uh, we feared last night in the WhatsApp group because Westy was travelling that he was going to miss it and then he quickly informed us that he was watching on his phone uh, on the bus, which is just a commitment that Portugal needed right there. Uh, obviously, a huge, huge moment. Uh, Fiji very gracious in defeat. I saw the co- one of the coaches going in afterwards as well, which was a great moment. But uh, you know, there's a lot of shit stuff that goes on in, in rugby, a lot of, and especially in world rugby with tier two stuff. This is one of the moments where you can look at and say, "Hey, this was a great, great moment." Westy, I'll throw it over to you. The floor is yours. Um, yeah, emotional, emotional moment for you, I'm sure. It was, and I, I've I've been watching the all the Twitter videos of like the slow motion of the kick in the touch at the end of the game. Uh, Rodrigo Marta's last try getting over the line when they kind of know that they're probably going to win it. Um, do you know what? I, I just want to preface this. I think this is the best outcome. Like I am so happy for Portugal to get the win, but thank God Fiji still go through because they definitely, definitely deserve it off the way they played in the first two games. People can say that they butchered the chance against Wales, and that's fine. You can say Australia is shit, and that's also fine. Um, 
but Fiji Fiji have played beautiful, have played really well. They've managed games quite well. I thought now, first off, I completely disagree with the Irish pundits at halftime who were saying this was an absolutely terrible game. It was 3-3 at halftime. It's probably one of the most entertaining 3-3s I've ever seen. Okay, it was loose. Okay, it was frantic. But I couldn't take... I was on a bus full of people. I was screaming at my phone. You know, my partner had to tell me to be quiet. Um, and she had the other ear in, so she was getting into it as well. It was... Uh, it was just, I just think it was a really fun game. It was a really exciting game. Um, and, like, it's, it's impossible not to fall in love with the way Portugal play rugby. Um... And look, it's not just a flash in the pan, right? They've been competitive in all of their games. Okay, you can tell me, oh, they were never going to beat Wales, never going to beat Australia. I may disagree with you a little bit on those points, but they were so great to watch. And, you know, the likes of um, Samuel March, um, Nicholas Martins, they're in a lot of people's team of the season, of the of the pool stages because they have just been genuinely impressive. Uh, Mike Tadger retiring from rugby with his two kids in his hand, giving a press interview is just absolutely brilliant. Um, seeing Jose Lima crying at halftime when they knew that when they won, or not halftime at the end when they'd won it. Um, again, I've said it once and I'll say it again. The last World Cup four years ago, they weren't in the tier two Six Nations. They were in a tier three Six Nations. Like they were nowhere near it. Um, and they've, the work they've played in the last four years. Um, there's so many stories of players in this team who, like, they're actual accounts of players team who saw the World Cup in 2007 and went down to play rugby the next day. And they've grown up. Two of these players are in the team because one of their friends, I think one of the other players, I think um, it might be Martin, I can't remember who exactly who it is. Uh, maybe it's Pinto, the fullback. His dad was in the team in 2016 and he brought two of his mates down to play rugby and now they're playing international rugby together on the same team. Um, it's a team that's built off uh, three or four, five or six old heads who have been a huge part of Portugal rugby over the last few years. Who've kept it going. I said, like the Tadger, he's played all over France. Uh, he's played, you know, he's a real journeyman of a player. Uh, I said Samuel Marks as well. That, that that front row, I think, is the oldest, like the oldest front row in the World Cup, or something like that. Francisco Fernandez and and Freira. Um, but the other half of that team is all lads in their early twenties, and that's what they said. That's what uh, Lima said after the game. He was like. We're a team of friends. Like we're a team of friends who turned up and throw the ball around, and it fucking shows. I think it was brilliant. I think, look, Fiji were mistake ridden, dropping the ball in places you don't expect to see Fiji dropping a ball. Um, I don't know what they where they go from here. I think, I think they, I think they still have a pretty good chance against England because, as we said, England haven't been overly great throughout the World Cup. If if they can tighten up and shore up some of these gaps, I definitely think it's still there for them. But yeah, I'm. I'm rambling now because I, I'm so happy for Portugal. And it, you know what? It's even sweeter because the amount of people who've been saying, oh, cut the team, to, cut the World Cup to 20 teams. Like, would you not hate it if there weren't these epic results? Okay, I know it was it was Uruguay Fiji in the last World Cup as well. But like, these are the results I watch rugby for. You know, a team like that to come out of, well, not nowhere, but to, you know, come out of everybody's expectations and get a win against a top team. Fiji are always a top team. They've got top talent. There's there's three Olympic gold medalists in that squad. Like, I just think it was outstanding from Portugal. Um, they never say die and throwing the ball around. And look where they got to. Yeah, no, definitely. Sam, any thoughts to add to that? Just a fantastic occasion watching the game, the the try at the end, because he thought it maybe was going to be a Samoa England situation where they lost it. But to score the try in the manner they did, to hold them out and then to kick it out, Dead to see the emotion in the players' faces. It's just going to breed another generation of rugby players. Like Wesley said, you know, they're the players in that team that watched them 16 years ago or whenever it was, and they've grown up into 
international rugby players and that's going to happen again they go from strength to strength so this is when world rugby need to pull their socks up and to do something about it you know when there is that positivity around a team because there can be negativity around uh, Romania or in Italy or whatever it is because they or Georgia even because they didn't do it but to to see a result like that for players some of them are semi-pro some of them looking for pro contracts to go out and do it against a team like West said with three Olympic gold medalists at team that will rightfully be looking at England in the quarterfinal and say that they ha- they have their sights set on it. You know, this is a team that want to be in the semifinals and for Portugal to get the result that they did was huge and, and like Wesley said, the perfect outcome for everyone. Eddie Jones is annoyed because Australia are out. Portugal get the win and a draw, so it was a fantastic uh, World Cup for them. And uh, Fiji still get to go through, so kind of everyone was a winner. Uh, it was a, a great day. It was a great game to watch. It was We were watching it here uh, and it was just you see the emotion on the the players' faces, even the fans' faces. Everything it was just it meant so much for them. I just want to point out one other thing is that when people kind of criticise these tier two countries, like they're going to criticise Portugal in three or four years and say, "Oh, what have they done since?" And yeah, okay, fine, they might not achieve anything. I think they will. I think they have a fantastic squad, but these results aren't always followed by massive results. The result here is the 10-year-olds, the 12-year-olds, the 15-year-olds who are now going down to their local clubs in Portugal and want to play rugby. The difference would be in six, seven years when those uh, kids are joining professional academies. That's what a result like this does for a country like Portugal. It gives them a chance. I said it before, Uruguay went from being a team who takes part in the World Cup to a team who won a game to now a team where rugby is the second most played sport in the country. These are long term changes and uh, um, structures now have to come in to encourage that to make sure that they benefit from that to make sure that those kids don't give it up in three years because i don't know that whatever the reason people give up sport they want to move on to something else they don't want to play sport anymore they don't see a future in it um the more that this is backed and the more that these are put on their microscope the better those changes are and the more chances these teams will be given and i just think like yeah if, if you don't want to back anybody else if you want to watch the same top 10 countries play over and over again. Yeah, drop eight, drop 18 from World Cup. I don't care. But if we're going to keep doing this, there has to now be something given so that those kids who pick up a rugby ball tomorrow don't put it down in three years' time. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point about the youth thing because it is, that's, that is, as you said, that's the big difference there. It's the, and we, you know, we saw that with Ireland probably at some stage of teams and then, you know, Johnny Sexton wanted to play rugby and Hugo Keenan wanted to play rugby and now you've seen the benefits of it. Yeah, it's a really good point. But it was brilliant. Yeah, there's also a responsibility, as you said, on World Rugby to take advantage of these moments. Of course, half the moments on Twitter are geo-locked, which is, you know, the irony of everything because, you know, they're tweeting about what a great moment and you can't even look at it on Whitaker. That's a different conversation for a different day. Right, we'll, we'll, we'll finish on quarterfinal predictions. We'll just each give uh, who we think is going to win each quarterfinal. Um, and then we can wrap it up there. But I'll start with Wales, Argentina. I think this is a Wales special. I think Wales beat Argentina. Sam, what do you think? Wales as well. Yeah, I think I like. I'd love to say Argentina, but I think Wales just have something about the way that they're playing at the moment. They're going to win. It's not going to be enjoyable to watch, but they'll get it. I really want to say Argentina. I really want to double down on my pre-World Cup bet, say that Argentina would top the group and have a great competition. I thought they were poised for it. Um, I think Wales, you can say that Wales aren't that great, but they put, they beat Australia, what, 40 points to seven or something like that. Um, I think their game management, their coaching, their preparation is really good. And I think this is where we see the best of Wales is in these games, in these knockout games. So, yeah, I agree the guys want to go with Wales. 
we'll leave the Irish game to the end. England, Fiji. I think I think Fiji's going to win this one. Sam? No, I think it's going to be an England win. I, I, the same with Wales. I just think that they'll get it done. I think Fiji beat England before the World Cup, and that's going to have lit a fire under England, and England will just not let it happen again. I spent too long yesterday shouting for Portugal. I have to say Fiji here. I can't go against them again. <laughs> that, that'll be good. That's the first, first one we've disagreed on, which is nice. France, South Africa. I'm, I've, I backed South Africa before the competition to win the World Cup. Um, and I'm, I don't know if I disagree with it anymore, but I think South Africa beats France in the quarterfinal. In a, I don't know, is that a shock? A mini shock, maybe? I don't know. A bit disrespectful to South Africa, call that a shock. But I'm going South Africa over France, Sam. Yeah, I think South Africa as well. I think, you know, France, just Dupont is questionable whether he's back or not. And that's not good for your, your entire game plan. If your key player, one of them is already gone, and then your second key player, like, or your most important player, the best player in the world, is is coming back from such a big injury and to be just back in training, I think South Africa have. I think South Africa just really make it horrible for France uh, and counteract for the French strength and get through it in the end. We'll go with France. Um Mainly just to be different. Um, I, I agree with what you're saying about Dupont coming back from injury, but I mean he's been he's been prepared for this kind of this game for the last three or four years since the last World Cup, since he got his kind of first taste of 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 what it takes. Um, I think they showed that they. I think Damian Penno is playing the rugby of his life. Um, I think the fact that they've got Dante back is huge in the middle for them. Um, I, I think their pack has been really strong. I, I think if they I think if they did, if they get the pump back, they I think they they win this. Jelly Bear also has been so impressive. Ramos, I, I just think they have too many tools in their in their kit. South Africa would really have to shut them down. Um, and you know, unless Dupont doesn't recover or has another maybe unfortunate incident occur, I think I think France pip it on uh, on Jouet Jouet on you know the fact that it's in Paris. I think it's a Razzie special. Uh, we'll finish with Ireland New Zealand. I mean, <laughs> I think we're all going to be in unison, but I think Ireland beat them uh, by 10. Sam? Yeah, Ireland by more than 12. I think it's Oh, just, love well, it. Yeah, come on. Score, score early and keep scoring. I can say Ireland by about eight. Um, not, not just to have all of our bases covered, but I genuinely think it's going to be... Uh, not quite close, but I, th- I think we beat them by just over a score. I think... You know, either a, a, a try and I don't prefer a try and a penalty, or you know, kind of just. Um, I think we might just have a little bit too much for them, but um, I I'm really afraid I'm going to prove it wrong. <laughs> I mean, I hope for all of our hearts that it's not as close as South Africa game. A part of me, I hope it is because the atmosphere will be incredible. But also, then you know, I don't know how many times you can do that until come out and do the right end of the result. <laughs> so, Stephen, have you ever been to an Ireland game that wasn't against New Zealand? This is your third Ireland New Zealand. <laughs> Uh no, just a second, just a second, uh, just a second. Uh yeah, so yeah, I've actually I'm unbeaten against New Zealand. Uh, so let's long may it continue, you know. Uh, so let's hope that. But yeah, we will be obviously back next week. We won't have an episode for you on Tuesday morning because I'll still be in France. I'll be flying back Tuesday. Uh, we might do like a Twitter live, Instagram live. <laughs> we'll see how the hangovers are Sunday or maybe drunken Saturday night. But uh, keep an eye on social media pages for that. 
that could be that could be our last thing we ever do. We might get cancelled at that stage uh, if if the wine's flowing. Who knows? Uh, but yeah, that that sums up all the, the the group games, lads. We'll be back next week to re- to uh, recap all the quarterfinals. Uh, and we'll yeah we'll give you a full rundown of our time in Paris, all of us together, and my girlfriend. Um, she'll be hopefully keeping an eye on us and no bed bugs. Say. Sorry, fiance. Uh, yeah, exactly. So okay, lads, appreciate it as always, and we will catch you next week. Bye.